Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. In December, Ray Buckley received a phone call with news of one of the worst betrayals of his political career. And he's been around a while. Buckley spent 18 years as a state legislator, and he served as the chairman of the New Hampshire Democratic Party since 2007. On his way up to that position, he was involved in every New Hampshire presidential primary campaign since he was an organizer for Jimmy Carter. A big part of his job is protecting the status of the New Hampshire primary, which by state law is required to be the first in the nation. In New Hampshire, the presidential primary is what beaches are to Florida or what bourbon is to Kentucky. It is the state's identity. As a protector of that primary, Buckley is more often used to politicians sucking up to him, not knifing him in the back. Any Democrat who wants to be president makes a point of becoming Ray Buckley's friend and showering the state party with money and attention. Joe Biden was no different. Buckley first fell in love with Joe Biden, his words, in 1975. Joe Biden was the first U.S. senator to support Jimmy Carter. So I fell in love with Joe Biden in 1975. You know, and when he came up in 1980 uh, to campaign for then-Senator Durkin's re-election, unsuccessful re-election, I volunteered to drive him. More recently, when Biden was vice president and looking to woo New Hampshire's political elite, he invited Buckley and Buckley's sister to a White House St. Patrick's Day event where they sat in Biden's private office and had an hour-long personal conversation. So when Buckley got that call in December, the worst part was that it was Joe Biden who had screwed him. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. The call was from Democratic Senator Jean Shaheen, and she was not happy. Shaheen had just hung up the phone with someone at the White House. Joe Biden had just decided to end New Hampshire's decades-long reign hosting the first presidential primary, at least for the Democrats. It was all laid out in a letter from Biden to the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee, which would meet the next day and ratify the president's decision. New Hampshire, where Biden was crushed in 2020, was out. And South Carolina, the state that resurrected his candidacy, would now go first. The DNC's orders, which are set to be ratified by the full party at an early February meeting in Philadelphia, were stark. If New Hampshire changed its first-in-the-nation law and jumped through a few other legal hurdles, it would be allowed to go second. But if it disobeyed the new calendar there would be consequences. There were private threats, too, which were communicated to Buckley by Biden campaign officials. Needless to say, this has put Ray Buckley in a tough spot. What do you do when you are one of the guardians of your state's most precious political and cultural institution, the very thing that defines New Hampshire, and the president you love and the party you've served your whole life tell you to destroy it. Ray Buckley is on the line from his office in Concord, and he's going to tell us. First off, the primary is going to stay. It's state law. Uh, It has nothing to do with the Democratic Party or nationally or statewide. Chris Sununu and and the Republicans' majorities in the legislature made it very clear they're not even going to entertain the thought of the plan to put a second in along with uh, Nevada. So we all knew that the Rules and Bylaws Committee was going to take a hard look at the 2024 nominating calendar. 
And of course, most people were focused on Iowa because uh, uh, what's the nice way to say this? In, in 2020, they didn't have their most successful caucuses in history. Everyone kind of knew they were in trouble. There's not too many people shedding a tear for what, what they might lose. But you and your role as leader of the Democratic Party of New Hampshire, part of it is to protect New Hampshire's place in the schedule. How did you and your colleagues not see this coming? And what did you do in the run-up to that meeting to protect the primary? Our conversations with folks uh, at the DNC, on the RBC, and at the White House was that Iowa was going to be the change. And it was not until Senator Shaheen received a phone call on 7 o'clock that night when the RBC was getting the plan. That was the first time we were told that South Carolina was going to go before us and that we were being put on the same day as, as Nevada. That had never been broached to us by anybody of influence within the party, whether a member or staff, or senior staff or senior officer, or uh, anybody in a top position at the White House. That's just not something that had ever even been suggested to us. In fact, we were told, don't overreact, be calm, you're fine. I know there's a lot of stuff coming out in Nevada, but you're fine, you're fine. And then uh, we get that news. How did you personally find out uh, Senator Shaheen called me, having just received a phone call from uh, the White House. I've known Senator Shaheen since I was 15 years old, and so I know when she is very angry. I could immediately tell it was something was wrong as soon as she said my first name. She just couldn't <laughs> believe it. Why? She doesn't usually call you Ray? It was the tone of the Ray, and I knew I hadn't done anything. Um, <laughs> so, no. What did she say? I mean, did she... she well, let me, let me tell you okay. why she was probably angry is because Senator Hassan, Senator Shaheen, and uh, Congressman Pappas and Congresswoman Custer had a phone conversation with the president on Monday, and they went through all of that. So there was never any even slightest hint that the president gave to the delegation. On the contrary, did he assure them that New Hampshire was not going to be subject to any change? He thanked them for the conversation and for their points. So this was a pretty stark betrayal by Biden of two very important Democratic senators and you personally, no? I wouldn't say to me personally. I do believe that uh, Senator Shaheen and Senator Hassan have been among his strongest supporters in the U.S. Senate. And it was a surprise. And I think disappointment is a word that could be used, but I think stronger words are probably more appropriate. Do you feel President Biden betrayed you? No. Uh, me personally? Um, no. I mean, I believe that there might be some of those early Biden supporters that signed that letter. They might feel that way. To me, you know, I'm a New Hampshire Democrat. I'm used to obstacles. I'm used to being tripped up. While this is high stakes, the bottom line is I know that there's going to be a primary. And, you know, uh, with all due respect to the president, it's not his choice. It's the people of New Hampshire that chooses to hold the primary. They can take away our delegates, but we're still going to have the First Nation primary. And I don't want Joe Biden to be the only modern day president in the last you know, 75 years to have never won the New Hampshire primary. Every single Democrat and Republican at some point, either for re-election or for their first time, they have carried the state of New Hampshire, as I said, on either party, except if he does not succeed in 2024 here in the New Hampshire, he you know, there's a little plaque outside of the state house of each winner of the primary, and it will be whoever happens to get uh, the most amount of votes. At this point, we don't know of a serious challenge, but hey, this time in 1967, did anyone think that Eugene McCarthy was going to be running? You know, even going back to 1975 at this time, Jimmy Carter had announced just weeks before, and I don't think anyone seriously thought he was going to be the Democratic nominee, never mind president. What have you been able to piece together about the process by which this decision was made? Since it did come so late in the game, people felt blindsided. What's your understanding of how it was reached, who in the White House or in the larger Biden political world was behind it? I'm sure you've done a lot of, uh, I'm sure you've asked a lot of hard questions of a lot of people. What do you know about this decision that others don't? All roads lead to the Oval Office. 
we certainly were aware that uh, it was not a member of the DNC or the RBC that came up with this calendar. When we looked at who was being appointed to the RBC, uh, there was an unusual number of people that had never even been on the DNC, never mind being on the RBC, and an unusual number of them had been closely connected to President Biden, either as a former staffer or senior supporter, or I think there are more people from Delaware on the RBC than there are from New York. Or Well, Delaware's a big state, so you could understand that. <laughs> I mean, that was a clue that the point was uh, that the president was going to make the decision. And so that's why we stayed in touch uh, with the White House and continued to communicate with them and continue to communicate with the uh, Rules and Bylaws Committee co-chairs, Mignon Moore and and Jim Roosevelt, both of whom I've known for decades. Uh, We hope that they choose not to punish New Hampshire when it's out of our hands, that uh, they can punish us. But it seems rather odd to punish the New Hampshire Democrats because the New Hampshire Republicans didn't do something. On December 2nd, the Rules and Bylaws Committee of the DNC issued essentially a list of demands to New Hampshire, the so-called waiver resolution. And on January 5th, you responded to that list of demands. And I want to just, since this is deep dive, get into the weeds of what this waiver resolution was, what they want from you guys, and what you think is feasible as laid out in that uh, early January letter. So so the letter that came from the Rules and Bylaws Committee gave us until January 5th to change two state laws and to agree to a voter file uh, issue. Their demand was that we were to introduce and pass, never mind that the new governor hadn't even been inaugurated (laughs) yet, and that We haven't even begun the legislative session to start hearings, going to the second body. It was clearly not a serious letter. And they wanted letters from Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire for now, and the Senate Republican majority leader and the New Hampshire House Republican majority leader saying that they would do two things. One, are committed to passing a law by January 5th to repeal the state statute on New Hampshire having the first the nation primary. Two, that they would uh, change their position on no excuse absentee voting and that they would pass that and sign that into law. Right. The first thing is change the date. And the second big thing is an early voting requirement. Right. Which we have always supported. We passed that when we had the majority four years ago. Chris Sununu vetoed it. Uh, Last term, when the Republicans gained the majority in the legislature, we still introduced it, and it didn't receive a single Republican vote in the state Senate. And um, if uh, we are able to win back the governor's mansion and the majorities in 2024, because we have a robust general election uh, with a strong top of the ticket uh, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, then uh, we can pass that by Easter. But it's not going to happen as long as Republicans are in control in New Hampshire. So on this first issue of changing the date of the primary, you all wrote that the DNC's requirement there is unrealistic and unattainable. So that's just not happening. You're not changing the date of the primary. Yeah. uh, You know, I think Senator Shaheen uh, was very clear, very strong on that. That's not something any Democrat who wished to be elected or reelected would come out in favor of. Uh, This was a law that was passed in 1975 by uh, then State Representative Jim Splain, who is still around and still very much in support of the New Hampshire primary. That's just not something that is going to happen. And on the expanding access to early voting... The Rules and Bylaw Committee wanted you to essentially do what? Allow for no excuse absentee voting. You know, which the saddest- Democrats are for that in New Hampshire, I assume? Yes, we are 100% for it. We've passed it and it's been vetoed. It's been stopped by the Republicans. Yeah, we were the first state to do same-day voter registration. I mean, it's not like we're not on the cutting edge of voter empowerment. We have always been in the top five uh, turnout. It would be one thing to demand- no excuse absentee voting if we had a low turnout. But we're always in the 70s and above when it comes to percentage of voters participating in New Hampshire, not just the primary, but our state primaries and the general elections as well. 
the DNC wanted you to basically get a letter from the Republican governor and the Republican leaders of the House and Senate in New Hampshire, correct? Yeah. Saying, we'll change the laws as dictated by the DNC. Yeah, we got letters from through all three of them. None of them uh, were pleasantly worded back to the DNC. <laughs> so, I mean, the DNC put you at a pretty tough jam, basically. And impossible, they, and impossible. So, they were saying, hey, right. Ray, go get the Republican leaders of your state to change the voting laws to track with what the Democratic Party insists on. So did you even try? And remember, right, in order to be in second place with Nevada. So it's not like they're saying, oh, you do all this and we will guarantee that you're first in the nation. No, 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 no. This was so that you can be second behind South Carolina and on the same day, and three days later on the same day as Nevada. So Sunu and the other Republican letters basically said, you know, pound sand. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He wanted a stronger worded letter, but we... uh, uh, discouraged him <laughs> from doing that. <laughs> What's your best guess about why Joe Biden thought this was a good idea? I think that he genuinely wanted to uh, lift up black voices, as he did with appointments to the Supreme Court, vice president, appointments to judgeships, uh, on and on and on. He has been extraordinary uh, in his respect of the Black voters of America. And I think he just simply saw it as that. And perhaps nobody filled him in on kind of the traps that was involved in trying to leap ahead. And from what we were told constantly that the president hadn't decided definitively. One of the things that popped out at me reading the letter was it really, as you point out, put this change in terms of racial justice as fixing what the letter essentially described as a kind of structurally racist, if it didn't go that far. But if you read between the lines, it was basically saying black voters have been shortchanged because New Hampshire and Iowa always goes first. Did you take that personally, Um, this idea that New Hampshire's history and tradition is being described in and characterized that way? Well, in 2006, the DNC began to address that by including South Carolina and Nevada into the early process. So there wasn't Iowa and New Hampshire. It was Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. And since then, it wasn't Iowa, wasn't New Hampshire, wasn't Nevada, but it was South Carolina that has determined who our nominee was in every one of those elections, whether it was in 2008 with Hillary and Obama in 2016 with Hillary and Sanders, and in 2020 with Joe Biden and Sanders. So the elevating of black voices, when they have chosen the nominee, the Democratic primary voters of South Carolina chose the nominee all four times, including the re-election of President Obama in 2012, ever since 2006. And if one was to discard Iowa, and bring along in Michigan and Georgia. Uh, When you add those five states together and you take a look at the population, there is significant, significant power that is given to the black voices, the Latino voices that are there. New Hampshire's not the determiner of the nominee. We just are the narrower of the top five or six. And we have been very pleased with the selections that South Carolina has done. We've won every one of those elections since then here in New Hampshire, albeit sometimes close, but we've won them. So uh, we don't have uh, an issue uh, with elevating black voters and black voices or Latino voters and voices. Uh, We welcome it and embrace it. And you could easily done a New Hampshire, South Carolina, if you will, uh, second with Nevada uh, remaining third and adding in Georgia and Michigan and over a course of uh, a month, month and a half. And it would be a powerful statement on uh, reaching out to making sure that uh, all voices are heard within the party. The next big event here, and it seems like a pretty significant one, is the DNC meeting in what, the first week of February? where 
this calendar proposed by the Rules and Bylaws Committee will be voted on by the entire DNC. In Philadelphia, no less. And how many people will be voting on that? How many members are currently uh, allowed to vote? Well, the RBC will be meeting at some point before we get to Philadelphia. I have not heard that that has been set yet. The RBC will be meeting on Friday evening uh, before the Saturday meeting, and that the meeting will be first thing in the morning. So the RBC itself has roughly 40 members, and the full uh, DNC is uh, roughly 440. It fluctuates. So what is your mission between now and that meeting in Philadelphia? If we had been afforded the opportunity to have a conversation that New Hampshire was being considered to being uh, taken out of first place, we want to make sure that everybody understands the jeopardy it puts Joe Biden in, our two members of Congress, both members of our congressional were targeted by the Republicans last cycle. We could be determining whether or not we have the majority in the U.S. Congress. Both of our U.S. Senate seats make the majority. We've only got the majority by one. Whether or not we can win the open governor's race, our minority in the New Hampshire House is by two votes. And in the Senate, it's by three votes. Uh, so costing all of us that when we're going to have the primary first anyways, makes no sense. We want everyone to think through. And you know, one thing that I have been told is that uh, as part of the punishment to us is that the president's campaign is not going to set up anything here in New Hampshire until after the primary. And that's been communicated privately? Yes. And so let me walk you through what has in the past. So New Hampshire has had a long history of tripping up incumbent presidents. Democrats and Republicans, over and over and over. So in 1994 and 1995, I was executive director of the Democratic Party here in New Hampshire. And I was like, okay, what can we do to make sure that Bill Clinton wins the New Hampshire primary without a lot of effort, uh, without having to deal with a Kennedy-esque opposition? Uh, so we did a number of things, uh, one of which I left to go <laughs> work on the campaign to help uh, organize the state. But what we were able to do is convince Clinton Gore in 96 to open up shop in August of 95. Hired a full-time state director, a political director, myself, field director, and opened up local offices and did heavily investment and got about 84% of the vote in re-election without a serious challenge. President, the vice president, the first lady, second lady were here a lot, but created a momentum that we went into the 1996 election, where Jean Shaheen was elected governor, the first woman governor in New Hampshire history, but also the first time that we won a statewide race since 1980. It created a foundation for victory. It was among single districts, numbers, digits, uh, in the U.S. Senate race with Dick Sweat and Bob Smith, and in both congressional seats. We picked up significant in the House and the Senate and the legislature as well. It was an extraordinarily good year. Then we go forward to 2011. Same thing. The Obama-Biden team set up shop in August of 2011, hired the staff, opened the offices. We elected Maggie Hassan governor. The first back-to-back -back Democratic governors, John Lynch retired, Maggie Hassan, in the New Hampshire history. We picked up both congressional seats, and we won the House majority because of the foundation that was built up starting in August. And so what's going to happen is apparently that they've decided that they're not showing up in New Hampshire until March. So they're going to seed those six months of organizing and building the foundation where we can win that open governor's race, hold the two congressional seats and pick up the legislative seats that we need and carry the state for Biden. We are very concerned without that foundational support, we are putting the entire ticket into jeopardy in, in 24. So how was that communicated to you? <laughs> I was told uh, by a senior person that we were not going to see the president or any principal from the administration in the state of New Hampshire until after the New Hampshire primary, and that there will be no investments and no work. And this was communicated as a way to make it clear how serious they are about supporting this plan to make New Hampshire no longer at the front of the line. Uh, 
Well, if that was their intention, it didn't. I guess I'm trying to understand what the context of this was. It was to say, like, look, we're serious about this. We're not stepping foot in the state because you guys aren't first anymore. And you're not being... Not that, that we're not uh, first. It's that we're first because we're not agreeing to move to second. So they were already got acknowledging got it. that we are indeed going right. to be the first to go. So everyone is moving on to the punishment phase, right? If you don't bend the knee, go second, it sounds like you're not, the state law is not going to be changed, then the second part of this is, okay, here are the punishments that will follow, Right. We have been very clear for decades. We have been threatened with the uh, either cutting in half of our delegates or creating half votes for the delegates or eliminating our delegates. Any of those suggestions, we're like, okay, we don't host the primary because we want to go to a national convention and spend a couple thousand dollars. Uh, we host the primary because we believe it's our duty and it's our responsibility. And we uh, believe that we provide a service uh, to the country. So taking away our delegates to the national convention is disappointing, but certainly not a, a severe enough punishment that it would have any impact. Besides taking away delegates, and now you've told me privately, Biden won't step foot in the state. Is there anything else that's on the list for being so naughty and not listening to them? Is there anything else that they're threatening? Well, it's an open book because not only can the RBC come up with anything, uh, but we've also empowered the DNC chair who works at the deference to the White House. The chair of the DNC can come up with any uh, punishment, but to punish us with all of these because the Republicans won't do something, that's really what's being done here. And okay, you can't have delegates to convention because your Republican governor won't do something we want him to do. That's really the kind of the bizarro world that we find ourselves in right now. That raises an important point. The politics this, of this are very complicated. Democrats and Republicans in New Hampshire are generally aligned in protecting the primary. However, Sununu has his own national aspirations. And I think a lot of folks are looking for signs that, you know what, he thinks this is great. He doesn't care about the Democratic primary in New Hampshire. He would love to troll the Democrats and make Joe Biden look bad because the Republican primary isn't affected by this. And maybe that's short-term thinking. Maybe down the road, any kind of divisions will damage the Republican primary as well. But what is that complicated relationship with Sununu like? You're the head of the Democratic Party. You're probably attacking Sununu all the time, trying to defeat him. But on this, everyone's supposed to work together. So what are the tensions between Democrats and Sununu on this issue like? And how much of an ally is he really? Well, to be very clear, uh, the, the New Hampshire Democratic Party, the New Hampshire Republican Party, has decades of history of walking side by side together. When the Re New Hampshire Republicans, delegates were cut in half, I believe it was for the 2012 convention, we didn't go after the Republican Party. We didn't go after uh, anyone in New Hampshire because that was the unspoken agreement that we were together, we were united. But uh, starting uh, last year, there was these grumblings by some of the smart aleck Republican state legislators, these young folks that just like to live on Twitter and fashion themselves to be the modern day Matt Getz or <laughs> those others. Yeah. And so we were picking up that and I would respond going, you know, this is unprecedented. This is ridiculous. I can't believe that you're trying to make this a partisan issue. But boy, when we got in the heat of the election in 22, uh, Kristen Nuna brought it up a lot. And he's going to bring it up a lot. And he blames everybody. <laughs> he'll blame our delegation. He'll blame our party. He'll blame the president. He'll blame, you know, anybody that happens to have a D after the name. And, you know, we are a battleground state. Maggie Hassan was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2016 by 1,017 votes. Yeah, if you want to go back even further, we all remember the 1974 uh, U.S. Senate race that was decided by five votes. You know, this is a battleground state here. And giving that ammunition uh, to Chris Sununu, who uh, is challenged with boundaries. He likes to mix it up, and he thinks he's quite funny. And he really gets a, a rise out of kind of being, a, he thinks, a tough guy. 
makes me laugh, but perhaps other people take him seriously. I don't know. Uh, but the reality is, is Kristen and the entire Republican ticket are, are going to beat the loving hell out of uh, every New Hampshire Democrat about this from seven ways to Sunday, as they say. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. And we're back. So it doesn't look like right now that Joe Biden is going to have a primary challenger. But let's assume he's running for re-election as has been sort of stated with close to 100% certainty, but there's still a, a little bit of uncertainty. Let's assume he's running and let's assume there's no primary challenger. Why does any of this matter? There's not going to be a contested primary anyway. Who cares who goes first, second, third? Nobody's going to be paying attention to the Democratic primaries because there's, there's no intrigue. That is, that is true, and, uh, and we're wondering why we're trying to mix up the calendar when it's going to be the convention is going to finally give— uh, You know, Remember, President Biden was robbed a national convention. He was robbed an election night victory celebration. He was robbed of the million of us out there freezing ourselves for the inauguration and all the inaugural balls. So this convention is very important to all of us because we've never really had the ability to be all together and really celebrate Joe Biden. And why not make it the best possible uh, convention? And that's what we support. You know, the, the reality, though, is the reporters, the press, the media, are going to be in New Hampshire because the Republican primary is going to occur that same day. So you're going to see Morning Joe and the Today Show and Good Morning America and all of the reporters uh, on television and radio. Radio Row will be up and operating again. Dozens and dozens of podcasts that happen. They're all going to be there for the Republican action. And so, of course, they're going to, when there's a minute, go, hey, what's going on, on the Democratic side? Now, uh, New Hampshire law, as currently New Hampshire law, is, you know, anyone with $1,500 can put their name on the ballot. And can you imagine, okay, so a group of uh, Biden supporters decide to write in Joe Biden anyways. So they write in Joe Biden. But it's not enough of them to prevail. And some mechanic from Arkansas or Oklahoma that sent a $1,500 check to the New Hampshire Secretary of State wins the New Hampshire primary. Uh, they're awarded the delegates. The delegates are connected. Uh, so if we're seated, we all of a sudden got to call this guy in Oklahoma going, okay, who are your friends in New Hampshire that I'm supposed to uh, qualify as delegates? It just makes such a mess unnecessarily. All right. But that is not a sure thing. What might just happen is nobody pays attention to the Democratic primary in, in New Hampshire one way or the other. And frankly, they don't really pay attention to the other states either because there's no contest. We didn't pay any attention to Donald Trump's primaries in 2020. So I guess- what's, But there will be yeah. significant interest in what's going to happen here. There might not be much interest in uh, South Carolina or Nevada or Michigan or Georgia, but there is yeah. going to be this great mystery of what happens here in New Hampshire. Uh, because with, of the- because with Joe Biden's talking name about. not being on the ballot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, the Republicans are surely going to want to portray great mischief in celebrating and congratulating this poor person that wins the New Hampshire primary. So to crystallize your argument to the other members, it's chaos because Biden's not going to be on the ballot. You could have a fringe candidate win, and that's going to be embarrassing to him. It will feed into this story of Democrats in disarray. And then more broadly, you're hurting the elected Democrats in the state, both at the local level and the, the ones in Washington, who are with all very thin margins here, because it's such a political cudgel that Republicans can use against you guys. And are you 
systematically going through the members of the DNC to sort of make this argument and build a coalition against this rule change? Like, what's happening between now and early February to win the vote? Or are you focusing mostly on just getting Biden to get on your side and retract this proposal? I've been on the DNC for nearly a quarter of a century. And never has the DNC voted against the wishes of an incumbent president. We understand that uh, this has to be a decision that's made in the White House. I mean, there are obviously a good number of individuals who are on the DNC that have asked us what they can do to be supportive. But there's honestly not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of folks that supported other candidates over the years that see this as Uh, not necessarily much more than D.C. elite or establishment uh, having wanted to do this since 1967 (laughs) take away New Hampshire because they were mad that we tripped up Johnson and we were mad that we tripped up Muskie and mad that we sent Jimmy Carter and mad that we tripped up Ted Kennedy and mad that we tripped up Walter Mondale and on and on. You keep going back and New Hampshire voters... Uh, are not known for going along with the establishment of either party. I mean, look at John McCain in 2000 or Donald Trump in 2000. But uh, they see this as a way of being able to get control over the nominating process, that they lost control uh, back in the 68 New Hampshire primary. And so they see, does a Bernie Sanders have a shot to even make a dent in the proposed Maybe, maybe not. Does a Pete Buttigieg have a shot in this calendar? Maybe, maybe not. Would a Jimmy Carter or go back over the years, would any of these non-establishment uh, candidates have been able to be successful? And, uh, you know, there's an argument that uh, some very strongly believe that they would not have that shot. Who do you think is your biggest ally in Biden world on this issue? I think that there are a lot of people uh, in the White House that are in friendships with uh, the president that have been part of the New Hampshire process over the decades that have seen it up close and see the value in it. And I think that they would be, if asked or listened to, uh, would be very articulate to the White House that on why New Hampshire should uh, not be punished for staying first and that why the president should actually uh, put his name on the ballot and begin his re-election here. When I interviewed Chris Sununu recently, it was just after uh, one or both of your senators had declined to go to a White House holiday party in protest of this decision. And Sununu being Sununu sort of scoffed at that and said, you know, BFD, you know, that's not doing much. Is there something you think that the congressional delegation could do that's a little more uh, attention-grabbing in Congress, whether it's supporting or not supporting the president's agenda or something else that hasn't been tried? Or is that just not, uh, you know, and look, I know you're the chair of the party, you're not working for the the elected uh, officials, but is there anything that you think they should be doing that would put a little bit more pressure? If you look at Jean Shaheen, And her record of 30 plus years in public office are uh, Maggie Hassan or Annie Custer or Chris Pappas. There's one thing that describes all four of them, and that's that they're workhorses and not show horses. That these are people that are much more focused on getting the job done than like Chris Sununa getting on the Sunday programs. So doing something very public is not in their nature, especially at the end of the day. We're going to have the First Nation primary. Uh, It's going to happen. This is a decision by uh, the White House to determine whether or not they want to have a shot at regaining the majority in 2024, that they want to make sure that New Hampshire's four electoral votes go, and that they want to help elevate uh, the other races that we have here in New Hampshire. Now, if any one of those four uh, members of our congressional delegation did something It would be so out of character that I would probably be the most astonished person uh, on (laughs) earth, having known most of them for most of my life. Have you tried to talk to the folks in South Carolina and to make the argument that, hey, you guys had a pretty good thing going. 
uh, maybe you don't want this. Let's team up and uh, explain this to the White House, because as far as I can tell, Jamie Harrison and, and the other South Carolina Democrats were not, maybe I'm wrong, maybe behind the scenes they were, but uh, it didn't seem like they were agitating for this gift. We are very close to the South Carolina Democrats. I uh, consider Jamie Harrison and uh, Trav Robertson, the, the chair, uh, Carol Fowler, all three of them are very close personal friends. I went to uh, their debate in South Carolina. I went to their convention. I've went to their dinners. I've gone down there numerous uh, times during the cycle to work with them, support them. I don't think seven days have gone by where I haven't spoken to either uh, Trav or uh, Jamie over the course of the last six, seven years. Even in for Obama's first election and uh, the inauguration in 2009, the New Hampshire party, along with the uh, South Carolina party, we did our own event in Washington called the Granite and Grits Ball because there were so many events that were sold out that a lot of the people that showed up in Washington couldn't go to. So we have a very long-standing, very, very close relationship, and we are very supportive of the party. And they come up to our dinners, they come up to our conventions, uh, and we're very close. There's certainly no hard feelings with the people of South Carolina. This was a decision that was made in the White House. Yeah. But they're not about to reject this plan in alliance uh, with you guys. You don't see any any signs of that. Well, um, I'm not sure it would have an impact. You don't think it would have an impact if uh, the South Carolina Democrats said, no, we don't want this either. We're behind New Hampshire. They should go first. <laughs> uh, we would never put them in, in that position to, to do yeah. that. So at the end of the day here, as you said, this, this is an Oval Office decision. The DNC is not going to embarrass Joe Biden by uh, rejecting this plan. So it's it's going to move forward, all, all indications are. I really don't see Joe Biden, despite the letter that New Hampshire Democrats sent this week. His supporters. He, his supporters. Sorry that, that he's wrong. I really don't see Biden falling on his sword or, and saying, oh, I made a terrible mistake here. We're going to keep New Hampshire, which completely rejected me first. And sorry, South Carolina, I know that you're responsible for me being president, but I made a big mistake here and you guys are going back to being third. N- none of that seems li- Ryan, likely to happen. Look, ahead, go ahead. The definition of a New Hampshire Democrat is one of great optimism. <laughs> I just explained to you that for 16 straight years, we didn't win a statewide race or a congressional race for that matter. Or I served 18 years in the New Hampshire legislature, nine terms, not once in the majority, not once. So we are eternal optimists. We always believe that people are going to come around and do the right thing. And so whether it is uh, in first week of February or it's next January, um, we are uh, hoping and will continue to uh, encourage the president to file in New Hampshire, to campaign in New Hampshire, and get reelected because of New Hampshire. Fair enough. I think Biden would appreciate that optimism as someone who's uh, similarly been counted out and made some significant comebacks. But the last big comeback he had was because you guys rejected him. <laughs> Maybe well, that wasn't but, the last, but, but one of the but, biggest. But so, let's make a let, let's make yeah. be clear. Um, I Joe Biden was everybody's second choice in New Hampshire. He was beloved by the supporters of all of the candidates. You looked at any of the polling. You looked at the events when he would have fewer people at our convention or our dinners. He still got the most largest applause because. People really respect him. They uh, have affection for him. And certainly his uh, two years now as president has been extraordinary, has been historic. We are so proud. Uh, And uh, so it's not that we said, oh, not Joe Biden. It was instead, we love Joe Biden, and maybe he's the nominee, but we want to send a message that, hey, we think it's really amazing that uh, this um, smallish, mid-sized city gay mayor, you know, is running for president. Or, uh, you know, Bernie's next door. He's you know been carried the progressive banner. Or Elizabeth Warren. Or, you know, Amy Klobuchar. People had such choices that they could send their first. And, of course, 
There was no secret that he was way ahead in South Carolina, even back before New Hampshire. So, you know, a lot of people said, well, you know, it, Biden's going to end up being the nominee, but I just want to kind of send a message by being casting a historic ballot here or there. Uh, it was, there was just, I don't know of a single person that voted for somebody else other than Joe Biden because they didn't want Joe Biden as the nominee. Well, I can tell you, I covered that primary very closely. And whether you're right or wrong about that, that is not the spirit with which Joe Biden and his campaign interpret, interpreted his defeat there in New Hampshire. <laughs> but listen, this, I, I encourage you to talk to some of his top supporters <laughs> on their opinions on why things didn't go well in New Hampshire. No, no, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Well, and he's missing an opportunity to finally win the New Hampshire primary by doing this. Uh, but uh, we've... Um, if, if you have a couple more minutes, the one other thing I did want to ask you about is, say Biden doesn't run, say that, um, and I don't know if you have any uh, insight into that one, one way or another, but say we do now have an open Democratic primary, this drama that's playing out, how is it different with um, the incumbent president situation versus an open Democratic primary? Uh, significant because it will give a candidate, uh, maybe not the establishment's candidate, maybe not the top tier candidate, but it will give an opportunity for somebody to say, you know what, winning the New Hampshire primary, being winning the first contest is a hell of a lot more important than getting a pat on the head by the Democratic National Committee. Uh, and, uh, I am been around long enough and familiar with enough of the ins and outs that um, I absolutely believe uh, that I would be able to create a process that would there would be a very robust election here in New Hampshire, and I'm certainly not showing my cards. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, basically, you you who cares about the delegates? This is going to be a test. I'm just going to throw out some names of, you know, Pete Buttigieg, Gavin Newsom, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. You got to come here. Um, Joe Biden is now a lame duck. What he views of this primary doesn't really matter. If you come, the media will cover it. <laughs> you know, we'll build it. You come. <laughs> and um, then it becomes a test of whether the candidates and the media decide whether this thing matters or not, not really whether the DNC um, is awarding delegates or not. Correct. So I hadn't really thought about this until we had this back and forth, but from the New Hampshire primary's perspective, assuming early February, the vote's gonna, gonna, not going to go your way, um, it's better if Biden, it's better if Biden doesn't run and you have an open Democratic primary where you can once again um, attracts candidates and, and, and show off uh, the power of the primary. But we uh, very much believe that the president is going to run for re-election. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, but I think you agree with me that for your perspective, it's better if he doesn't. I think for the nation, it's better if he does. And at the end of the day, all of this is about... I'm going to put you down as a yes on that question. <laughs> ...is winning the election in November. I try not to in any way do anything that ever hampers our chances in winning uh, any vote for any office uh, in November. Um, you know, I've uh, <laughs> I've supported candidates that won our nomination for other offices that, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, not not necessarily would be the person I would uh, want in public office. Uh, but if they win the nomination, I work my heart out for them, and uh, because my job is to elect Democrats, and uh, I think the uh, very best way for us to have a phenomenal Democratic uh, election year in. New Hampshire is for the president to open up shop in August, just like uh, President Clinton and President Obama. Uh, and let's build for victory. Do you think we'll know by early February uh, the final Biden decision on this question? Uh, I uh, I probably overread things and uh, look at too much about this. Uh, it appears that it's imminent. Um, and 
you know, my feeling. What makes you say that? What's what 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 tea leaves are you reading? Uh, that, that, that says they're the interviewing staff. That they're talking about putting together structure. Then they're getting ready for that. I think the timing is is probably about right. Um, and um, you know, I I think that uh, you know maybe you'll be at the DNC meeting. Uh, so I'll get to be in the room when he announces. That would be pretty amazing. Well, Ray, you're still very diplomatic despite being in an extremely, an extraordinarily tough position, being uh, essentially punished and betrayed by a president who I'm sure you uh, deeply uh, admire and, and, and support. So I don't uh, envy you in having to, you know, Ryan, to deal with this. Joe Biden was the first U.S. senator to support Jimmy Carter. So I fell in love with Joe Biden in 1975, you know, and when he came up in 1980 uh, to campaign for then-Senator Durkin's re-election, unsuccessful re-election, um, yeah, there was a fundraiser uh, in a Manchester restaurant, and I volunteered to drive him. Um, so and you were, and and did indeed drive him. You yeah. were his driver. So you know I've had uh, great affection uh, for Joe yeah. Biden. You know I'm uh, from working class. You know I so much of his story uh, I absolutely relate to. Uh, and uh, you know I, I brought my sister to one of the White House uh, St. Patrick's Day events and and she spoke to the vice president because she lost a daughter. Uh, to uh, cystic fibrosis, and I'm sorry, the president, uh, the vice president, then vice president, uh, you know, took the two of us into his office. And we spent an hour uh, talking yeah. about with my sister and and uh, and the then vice president talking about what it, what it's like to lose a child. Um, so he's not a stranger to me. He's not a stranger yeah. to us in New Hampshire, and um, he is. Uh, has those people that signed that letter didn't do it out of uh, anger. They did yeah. it because they wanted to make sure that as his supporters, as I mentioned, some of them were his top supporters in 1987. They wanted to know that he, he, we support him. We want to support him. We want him on the primary. We want him to get reelected. We want him to continue on this historic uh, ride to changing the way this country is. I mean, uh, Donald Trump in four years destroyed so much of the fabric of this country. And Joe Biden, is, as they said in that letter, is the right person at the right time. And we strongly believe that. Uh, that's way out of, you know, regardless of the New Hampshire primary. Um, we're very proud yeah. of him. Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being so generous with your time. And we'll be watching this very closely. I wish you luck. And I will, um, I'll see you in Philadelphia in early February. I'll be there Tuesday evening looking for you. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Afra Abdullah. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Brooke Hayes is the senior editor of audio at Politico. Jenny Almond is Politico's executive producer of audio. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks this week to Lucas Randall Owens for field production services up in New Hampshire. Please subscribe to Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.